Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, guys, Sean Salisbury here, and welcome in and my inaugural show, my first show for the Believe Network, and I'm grateful to be here with all these great uh, people and this great talent, and I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Um, and a lot to talk about, and we're going to hit some precise, hardcore points. And we'll start on this podcast with a little bit of the recent draft, some of the things that are going on because of the draft, and someone who didn't get moved since the draft. How's that? And we'll knock it out and hit a little bit of this name, image, and likeness stuff, and where does it stop and start? And I can tell you this, that I would have loved back in my day as a as a recruit, and I don't mean this as a pat on the back because the fish story didn't get bigger, I promise it got smaller in my case, is that I would have loved name, image, and likeness to be involved in because as the number one quarterback recruit in the country in 1980-81, man, at USC, I'd have made more money going in to Southern Cal than I made coming out after two knee surgeries and being an undrafted free agent and fortunately playing 10 years, but would have been a different story. It'd been nice to go out there and be able to actually afford pizza after name, image, and likeness instead of, you know, ask mom and dad for an extra 20 or hope that somebody out there, one of your buddies had it. So you weren't writing a uh, check. You didn't know if you had any money in the account back in the day. See, nobody writes checks anymore, right? At least for the most part, but that would have been awesome. Cause I think, man, I would have made a the way name, image, and likeness, when you're the number one recruit at SC, it's like, okay, I get a, as a quarterback, not arrogant, just the facts back then, man, that'd been a couple million bucks, right? And then I made 82.5 as a rookie. So yeah, it would have been great. So we'll hit that. And where does it start? Well, we know where it starts. Where does it stop? And is there a way to find a happy medium in this uh, grind? And we'll, we'll touch that. But let me start here with this Ryan Tannehill stuff. All right. It is a, I, first of all, I don't know why the hell it's a hot, button topic, excuse me, but it is media and fans, and it's how you pull out how Ryan Tannehill said it. I don't think there was any viciousness in Ryan Tannehill. The story here is not that Ryan Tannehill says he's not going to, he doesn't believe it's his job to mentor Malik Willis, and I'll tell you right now, quite frankly, it's not, but we'll get to that. The story here is that he sought therapy in the offseason that the loss in the playoffs was so friggin' devastating for him, so devastating, that he, the scars will never go away. And I'm paraphrasing paraphrase some of the things he said, but he said it was so been so awful for him. And any of us who've either played the position or any whether it's stress in your own job, your own life, it's not just football related, we all go through it. But wherever that rock bottom is in your career, trust me, I hit it in mine, I know what that's like. But how you come out of it is obviously what we're looking for. It's just like you tell your quarterback or your, your coworker or a family member or your kid that's going to high school or when I train quarterbacks all over the country, I tell them, be able to self-correct. How are you under pressure? And how do you deal when things are going really crappy? How do you bring yourself out of it? I'm not worried about the interception. I'm worried about the next one. And it's the same thing here. So the story is Ryan Tannehill's ability to what, you would, what he would probably tell his kids when you face adversity, what I'm sure coaches have told him, what I'm sure he's hit, but maybe not that big of adversity. I mean, playoff game, three picks. You're the number one seed, and now everybody in the city wants you out. And I, when I say that, it's not umbrella, not everybody. But you get my point. And as a quarterback, you're out on that island, guys, by yourself. You got your team, but if a defensive tackle misses a tackle, and it's no disrespect on them at all, 
Sometimes a linebacker can clean it up and it's all muddied and nobody really knows what's going on. Now the coaches do, but you sitting at home don't. You say, oh man, oh he got blocked by an all pro by Quentin Nelson. But the linebacker cleaned it up. So we don't really make a big deal of it in the fans. Now coaches are great and everything and they're deeper into it. And the worst day in the, in the, of the week is when you go in after a loss or even after a win and you feel you didn't play well. And even if you felt you played well, there's still mistakes watching tape with your teammates and coaches. It sucks. Now, wins are fun, but when you're watching your individual, it's like, oh, gosh, I misstepped there. I should have had that read. I threw it to the flat. I had the, the, you know, the, the hole shot outside up in the hole, those things. But as a quarterback, when you throw it out there like a corner, it's God in the world get to see. And it all comes back that it wasn't anybody's fault. It's got to just be Tannehill's in the game. And he did not play well. And his job is, quite frankly, on the line. There is no question. Especially when you make a lot and you're the number one seed and you overtook a guy that was a top, what, the second pick of the draft in Marcus Mariota. Now, same things that made you laugh then, not at Mariota, but getting that job in a new contract are the same things that may make you cry now because you're trying, and I don't mean literally, but you're trying to stave off the next level of competition. And it is no story, even though it's been reported and I get it, that the Tennessee Titans were inquiring at one point about, and, and Schefter, Adam Schefter is always you know, spot on on these, but I don't think it's a story because 25 other teams would have too, Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson, that they were trying to get into the mix for both of them. Well, yeah, yeah who wouldn't? So it's not, I mean, hell, even if Tannehill was a pro bowler last year, you'd still jump in the mix for a generational talent, a quarterback. I mean, going to the Hall of Fame, a Mount Rushmore type player in Rodgers and a top five asset in the league in Deshaun Watson. It, you, you, of course you would, but nobody's trading Deshaun Watson in the division. You're not that stupid. So uh, meaning the, the Texans doing that to the Tennessee Titans. But the story here is Tannehill's comeback, not that he's seeing therapy. I, I, I hate when people... And there will be a perceived and a perception about him on some people that don't understand mental health or that just look at it and say, oh, he's got to see therapy because this macho crap with us football players that you're not allowed to be hurt. You got to fight through it. Can't make the club in the tub. Oh, you saw you saw therapists. Now nah, you're done. Soft that, that, that you'll hear that, which is which is uh, absurd. Obviously, mental health. And I'm not here to. I mean, I'm a mental health advocate. I know what it's like to hit rock bottom and wonder if you're ever going to pick yourself back up again. But that's not what this is about. This is about not only the – he shouldn't worry about the perception of you and me or somebody sitting on the sidelines and maybe even at times as teammates, although that does matter when we're talking about the next step of this, the mentoring thing. you gotta, you got to win the locker room. you got to get players not only to buy into the head coach, but the head coach and the quarterback's got to get people to buy into him or you got no shot. Buy-in will outlast talent every day of the week because they'll make an extra commitment to the coach and the quarterback if they buy into you. Baker Mayfield's going through some of the non-buy-in right now. But the Tannehill thing, there are going to be people who are going, oh, soft, because he's going to see therapy, which is wrong. If therapy to get his mental mentality and his home life, and not, not that his home life's out, but to make sure that, it does, that, that football doesn't carry over to home, that throwing an interception, you don't look at it like my life, like how do I recover? Football is what we do, but it's important, just like your job is. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you don't want to fail in front of people. You don't want to embarrass yourself. He didn't play well. And yes, his job's on the line. I'm all for Ryan Tannehill getting therapy, as he said he did, to help his game and to help his to get over the scars. And he says he's moving forward talking to people and seeing a therapist. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's not soft. 
we, we, we're in society now where anytime somebody does it, it's like, oh, man, dude, well, what a wuss, man. He can't, which is, listen, I think we all at some point in time will look at somebody and try, oh, why does he need help? Can't he come out of it himself? And I think we're all looking for that. Sometimes you can't get out of it without help. Some guys are just so good at it, they don't throw four picks. They'll be back the next year and throw 5,000 yards. Some guys just have it. But like anything else, if you need training wheels to first start out riding a bike without the training wheels, then use training wheels to get yourself right so you feel confident. And Ryan Tannehill needs to get that back. So I have zero issue, and nor should anybody, that he feels in his life that the best thing for him was to go get some therapy to help him to get over it to let go of some of that pass and get rid of the rearview mirror and look into the, the uh, windshield. Hard to do. It is. It's the special one that gets over it quick. Not only the failures, but the successes is urgent, equally as urgent. As a quarterback, you can't sit there and, and wallow in, in, in mistakes and over-celebrate successes because you know what? You could have 500 yards passing and lay the ball on the ground or throw a pick in the fourth quarter. Nobody cares about gives a damn about your 500 yards passing. So seeking therapy, I think it's a good thing, and I encourage it for anybody who's going through it. And if a quarterback is going through this, what's best for his life, his quarterback career, his team, and his present and future, and to let go of uh, the mistakes or the difficulties that he's having trouble let go of since that playoff game. So for his health and mental health, God bless him. Now the question is, does he apply it? We always talk about, like, when I'm training quarterbacks, I talk about, can you process the football information from the – meeting room, take it to the practice field, and then take that to the games on Friday night if you're a high school or Saturday, college, Sunday, NFL. Now the processing of what Ryan Tannehill has looked into the mirror and found out about himself with a therapist or with teammates or anybody who he puts his trust in. He's been a pro bowler in the past, had some really good seasons. I don't think he's a guy who can carry a team on his shoulders by himself, and we saw that even though Derrick Henry made it back at the end there for the game. But I, I do think when things are going well, and this is, there's more of these guys than there's not. The guys who, when you got great players around you, things go well. And then there's the guys like the Bradys or the Rodgers or the Russ Wilsons or the Deshaun Watsons or you know, Josh Allen, the Lamar Jacksons. When things are going to hell in a handbasket, they still can elevate and elevate and maximize a backup and make him play like a starter. That's the unique one. The rest of the normal world and the mere mortals are more like, i got to have good players. Those guys are, are different. They're just they're freak shows, the ones that can elevate no matter who's out there. But everybody wants good players. So with Ryan, how quickly he's able to get over this and move on offseason, and that the first time he throws a pick, he's not staring at the sideline. He's not, oh, my gosh, is the backup, is Malik Willis warming up? Oh, I'm reverting back to, I remember this feeling, Cleveland, and guys, do not discount bad memories on the football field. I went through a time, and I think one of the biggest, aside from two shredded knees in college that I overcame, but when I it was a sophomore, was supposed to be a first-round pick, right? And then I got hurt, and then got hurt again. Shredded the same knee twice, so I didn't get it. And regardless of how you felt now about me, at that point in time, I was, and things were rolling. But my point is, is that I remember a time in my career and maybe if you're a first-round pick, you get over things quicker. But when you're a free agent or a late-round draft pick or you were a backup and then you get to start or change teams, you feel like you've you, you got to do everything right all the time because you don't want to leave your glove on the mound for somebody else to come out and pick up. And I can remember at a point after I made a team, at a point in my career, 
I started, I, f- I had that feeling back that I could do no, I mean, I was going to make every throw. And then you went through, I don't know if it was a game, and I don't remember what clicked in, maybe it was my second injury, that you say, man, can I, can I still do what I've always been able to do, athletic and jump and run and throw and make all these decisions? I didn't lose my talent, but how do I reach out and grab and quit the second I make a mistake, revert back to the crap instead of look forward to the good stuff and feed off that? And for a couple years in the, in the pros, it affected me. I didn't get over, and I preach it hard to the guys now because I always say, I can't tell anybody anything to go with that they're going through unless I've been through it myself. I can tell them, but a little more substance when you, know, when you crap the bed in a game or lose confidence, I can tell you that. But if you're a guy that never loses, hell, I never saw Brett Favre on the field lose an ounce of confidence. And I said, those guys are unique, or Warren Moon. I always saw when I was a teammate, no, no matter what, he just... You couldn't tell if he threw a pick or an inter- a touchdown, ever. He was that, he just, everything was the same in his confidence. But I went through a time where it took me three plays or four plays or a series to get over bad play. Ryan Tannehill, obviously been a better pro than I have. I hope he can apply what he's done and really believe in it. And if he makes a mistake, who cares, dude? I know it's your job, but you got to move on from it or it festers into four and then you do lose your job. So it's the how he recovers from what happened last season. It's not the mentor stuff. Listen, the job description, I know people are going to say it is your responsibility. It's your responsibility, but in a different way than Tannehill said it. I think that the thing, the reason why he said, it's not my job to mentor Malik Willis. Malik Willis. And we're talking, Malik Willis has still got a lot to do to win the job. Malik Willis is a third-round draft pick. He wasn't the second pick of the draft, and we're just going to give him the job. And I know how skilled he is. But he's still got to adjust to the speed of the NFL. He's, his arm ability is off the charts. But the last memory for Titans fans is Tannehill sucked in the game. So now that automatically, well, it's, it's now Malik Willis's job. Well, Malik Willis has still got a lot of work to do. The mental side, the emotional side, the physical side, which he's got, but to be able to apply it and consistent in 17 games and the grind and all the blitzes that a young quarterback sees. And he looks, to, he looks the part, man. When I watch that guy throw it, he can... He can let it fly. And Liberty, while they played some good competition on a week-to-week basis, it's going to get tougher. The worst team in this league can make you look miserable as a quarterback. So I think he's going to be a hell of a player, going to be well-coached, and hopefully elevate, and he'll be great. But it's still Tannehill's job, and he, in order, but it won't be long if you let things fester three or four games. It's not his damn job to, in the job description – Maybe at your job, your boss says, hey, listen, I want you to take this intern or me at my radio show. I, I do everything I can to people that I've known along the way to assist any way I can. Help an intern get a job. Bring the intern in and put that person, him or her, around people to learn and to watch. But as it's going on, it's not my job to go to the intern's house or to, to their work and say, hey, come on, I'm going to teach you. It's my job to start out to create an environment for them to be successful and along the way say, any questions, man, send me a message. If you have any questions during a show, let me do, uh, let's, because uh, you want that person to be a, you want them to be a star, you want them to be great. That's some of the greatest satisfaction in the world, making sure the people you've either mentored or helped come back and tell you thanks. Thanks, coach, or thanks, uh, Sean, on the show, man. I've learned so much, and now they're a boss somewhere, a program director, GM, it's, or a talent. It's awesome. But the job description, and it varies at your company, but football, like we know, is a different egg, guys. First of all, Ryan Tannehill's, Tannehill's job is on the line. It is stone cold on the line. Makes a lot of money. So if the rookie is as good as the starter, 
I've always said I don't have any problem playing a rookie. I, I don't subscribe to now if you have the luxury to have a veteran like Aaron Rodgers had with Brett Favre or Steve Young with Joe Montana, have at it. Most don't have that luxury. When we draft a guy in the first round, we usually want to play him right away because the team sucks. Tennessee is the number one seed. The team doesn't suck. So that's an advantage for Tannehill. But if you can't succeed on a team that was a number one seed in the AFC last year, then they start to look at you and side-eye your ass and say, well, can, can, can he do it? Where's this confidence? They're going to be watching every move Tannehill makes confidence-wise. And Malik Willis, what's he got to lose? He's a third-round pick. There's no high expectations like you would if you're the first pick of the draft. Now, people have high expectations of him, but nobody's expecting him to go be the MVP of the league as a rookie. It's, it's, there's some transition, and as a third-round pick, we give them, okay, we're not going to force you to play. Well, he may, if, if Tannehill starts slow, he may have to. So you got to pay attention, and, and I'm sure he will, and get himself going. But Tannehill, there's a lot of competition going on, but Tannehill... You leave your glove out on the mound, and then they have no choice but to go to the guy, even if he's not ready. So for Ryan Tannehill and this mentoring thing, guys, of course you want to – I think just the way he said it came off to some as like, oh, gosh, he's not a good teammate. That, that, no, I didn't get that at all. I got – we're watching the same tape. We're in there, and if he learns from me along the way, great. I get the feeling like all good teammates that are great leaders that care about their teammates, and if you want to win over the locker room, that – and he talked to Malik Willis when he got drafted. He reached out to him. You probably go up to Malik Willis and say, listen, man, of course I'm here for you. But it's not his job to chase Malik Willis down. I'm not saying Malik Willis has asked him to, but he shouldn't expect it either. I've never had, in all the years I was playing, I never had a guy chase me down as a young player that had been a veteran starter in front of me and tell me, I mean, they'd let me know if I asked or if you're out there on the field like we do, but on my own, on my lonely work, lonely time, Steve Largent, rookie, was great at taking me under my wing, but I had to follow him around like a baby duck on a mother duck, asking him all kinds of questions. I drove him nuts. I wanted to know what it was like to be a Hall of Fame pro and watch his work. Warren Moon was great at it. Now, Warren became one of my best friends in the world, but along the way, Warren was always receptive and would take young, make sure guys felt comfortable. You want your whole team to, to embrace each other and engage. Even if it's not like, it's respect, but Warren and I had both of that. But then I became a second set of eyes from him on the sidelines, so he'd come to me first, even before going to coaches, because we, we had talked football so much. But Warren didn't chase me down. I, I went after him as a young guy trying to, and I was three or four years, five years into my career already, or longer. So I wasn't young. I'd still been in the league, and I was still going to a guy who knew more and was a better player. And then he was receptive to it, which a great leader and a guy who wants to mentor. Then you get into the mentoring. Yeah, man. Hey, we did it. I'm going to watch tape tomorrow. Come on and join me. And I don't think Tannehill would turn that away. But the way some people sound like his number one job is to make sure Malik Willis is ready. Your ass. No, Malik Willis's number one job is to make sure Malik Willis is ready. Use the resources of, and none of this Malik Willis said, so it's not on the kid. It's on our perception, on the adults in the room. Nobody told Malik Willis, I mean, no, no, nobody, Malik Willis knows. He's, he's, he's a smart kid. So does Tannehill. But we blow it out because it's the off season. Malik Willis's job is to go to Tannehill and say, man, I'd love to learn from you. I'd love to sit and watch tape. Are you going to watch after practice? Can I come in with you and talk? Sure, man, come on in. What, what, you'd have to be a major clown not to welcome a guy in that asks for your help. Then you can say, that guy's a bad teammate, get him out. And, and, and if you're a bad teammate, eventually you'll lose the locker room and you will be out. 
So I'm just baffled. Oh, it's, his, it's not his number one. His number one responsibility is to get his mind right, get his game right, work his ass off, and be in position to lead the Tennessee Titans and be the best quarterback he can to win. It's his job and his family, too. Now, along the way, you can bring a guy along so when you move on, but are you supposed to just say, hey, they drafted a guy in the third, and I think I'll concede. And then you know what the rest of the world would say? Ooh, he was afraid. Of, he didn't like competition. He's insecure. Every player's insecure. You may not see it, but they are. That's what grind, That's why Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, they don't want anybody to take a kneel down at the end of the game. Why? Because they don't want to let anybody on the field. There ain't no glove going to be on the field. And I don't have a problem with that. Sometimes insecurity drives guys to be great. And all the guys, the macho images, some, plenty of them when they're by themselves and they're where nobody else hears or talks to them, they're thinking, oh, they drafted a guy? Huh. Nobody, no, nobody wants your job replaced. So t- it's not like Tannehill's 40 and he's kind of a backup and he's a, like Wade Wilson. I can remember when I went to Minnesota and Wade was an awesome mentor too, but I had to, I, I had to and we became great friends, but I had to ask Wade all the questions and, and that was my first year in Minnesota. And then we, it blossomed into, we talk football all the time and friends and, and it blossoms into special, but a lot of guys, young guys, I don't know if this is the case with Malik Willis, don't want help from a veteran. They think they know it all. And so they go about their business and that's fine too. But I think Tannehill, open to, 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 to mentoring and teaching him what you know. It's good competition. Beat your brains in, beat each other's brains in on the field and compete your ass off and then come back and be buddies. Quarter, good quarterback rooms matter where they look, compete and like. Get on the field and go about it. And you can hug and go have a cold beer if you want after. It is not his number one priority to get Malik Willis ready. Quarterback coach, coordinator. Now, hey, Malik. Um, after they've, he's approached him, then all of a sudden Tannehill comes in after a workout and says, hey, man, I'm going to go watch some tape. You want to join me? Heck yes. Boom. Pop in there. But Tannehill shouldn't be chasing Malik Willis down. So it's absurd for anybody to assume that his number one job as the starting quarterback making a lot of money after a poor end of the season, that he's supposed to just go home to his wife and his friends and his agent and his teammates say, you know what, I'm going to back down. Then we'd look at him and say, what a coward. He backed down from competition. He just conceded the job. See, you can't win. Be a great teammate. Olive Branch, you're there. I'm here for you anytime you want to talk, man, want to watch tape with me. But it's Malik Willis's job to knock on Tannehill's door, not the other way around. Plain and simple. The story here is, though, the mental part of Tannehill with the draft pick, with what happened. Can he revert back to 4,000-yard type season? Number one seed, or even before then when he's been a good player, and, but maybe can't carry a roster? Or does he go out in the first month and doesn't play well, and all of a sudden they put the guy in? And a lot of times, once you put the young guy in, it's really hard to pull him out, even if he struggles. Because you're making a lot of money, and they expect if you're rookie in the veteran or playing the same, I've always said play the rookie. Tannehill's got his work cut out for him. His job, number one, is to help the team win, not to run around chasing people. And so he should be chasing the third-string quarterback down. He should be chasing the veteran free agent wide receiver down. Now, if he wants to go out and play, throw routes, come on, guys, let's go do this. I don't, by one stretch of the imagination, think that Tannehill would be approached by Willis and he'd cold-shoulder him. Now, that's where if that happens and we hear that, then this conversation we're having here will change for me. But the young guy, the pupil reaches out to the teacher, not the other way around. And then you teach and then you reach out. Hey, man, we've been doing this every Tuesday, Wednesday. Are you going to come this Tuesday and Wednesday? I need your, come on, rookie, let's go do this. I want you to be ready and prepared in case I'm hurt. Bingo. That's a good teammate. And that's a good leader. To name, image, and likeness. Um... Guys, I, I've, I, like I mentioned, I want players to get paid. 
I love that they're getting paid. College coaches could move on a whim, and they have no accountability. Boom, the buyout comes in. Bam. I'm not looking to blame. I'm looking for solutions. It came on us so quick. What was it, August of 2021 or 2020 where this new kicked in? You remember, I remember at the college basketball national championship game when the point guard for uh, UConn got up there and said, yeah, man, we, 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 when there's like a speech was talking about, we just, you know, some, basically I'm paraphrasing, got to change that, you know, we'd like to be able to eat or however he said it, meaning, and then you go in locker rooms now, meaning it's a struggle. We don't get paid. Now you go into college locker rooms and there's a refrigerator that there's sandwiches and, and snacks and stuff in there. You used to not be able to get that unless it was training table, but I'm talking about extra. You get out of class, go grab yourself a couple sandwiches that are sitting there. You don't have to pay for them. They're yours. So that changed. And then we went from that to transfer portal to COVID. The transfer portal went haywire. Then all of a sudden we just, boom, name, image, and likeness because people were complaining. I know it's been, it was a longer process now, but here's how it felt. Then we just jump into the transfer portal slash name, image, and likeness. And next thing you know, we got high school seniors getting offered millions of dollars or freshmen getting, like plucking guys from transferring. I mean, from staying and coming over here when you got a good thing going, but there's a better thing over here. And I don't begrudge the player. If the rule says you can do it and you want to do it, do it. I ain't mad at the player. I would have loved to have it around when I was around. But we used to transfer because you want, I mean, players, because you wanted opportunity. Now we transfer because you want money. I'm going to tell you four things that happen as a, as a quarterback trainer that kids now look for. Now someone, and this isn't a, a blanket statement on all, but you know, some families, academics, how are the academics? Listen, you're going to put in what you get out of it now. Stanford and Harvard and Vanderbilt and Northwest. And of course, certain people have tougher academic standards to get in. But no matter where you go, if you put in, you'll get out. Education's good anywhere if you're paying attention and putting time in, like anything else we do. Some pull a little bit more weight with alumni at Notre Dame or at Harvard or at Southern Cal graduation alumni or, like I said, at Stanford. If you're a quarterback and, you're a, and you love hard academics and you want to get coached well by David Shaw, who, who wouldn't want to go to Stanford? And I'm a USC guy. I get it. But they're no longer asking because we assume what you put in, put out. Like when I'm around them, hey, are the academics good? Even though the kid may be a 3-7 and they know in their family that they need that. They want good academics and be challenged academically. But now that's a question I don't, that doesn't get asked much. I got a bunch of my quarterbacks that are really smart that, that go to Brown and uh, get recruited by Harvard or Yale or the this top schools that require a little bit tougher grind to get in academically. That's why I always tell them, have options. Why would you be a great quarterback and not a committed student? I mean, dedicate yourself because if you have 20 options, like a transfer portal now, then you don't limit. If you want to go to Stanford, but you're a 3-1 student, and I get a guy who's got the same talent as you as a quarterback, same size, same talent, same 6A schools, and he's a 3-9, and you're a 3-1, and you're both great, and I want you both, but I can only choose one. What do you think a college coach is going to do? Choose the 3-9 guy that you're not worried about failing out of school, or a 3-1 in high school that you're like, ooh, that's going to drop down a little bit. It's going to be tougher on him at Stanford. Not saying that's a bad GPA. You get my point, though. You want to keep guys eligible, and we no longer just recruit high school guys. A college coach has to recruit his own team now once they're there to prevent him from jumping in the transfer portal and leaving. But I do not have a problem with guys getting paid. You sell 500 jerseys. Why don't you get a cut of it? It's your, it's your number. You get an endorsement. Uh, somebody wants to have you come give a corporate speech to a Fortune 500 company in, in uh, Texas 
Elon Musk wants you to go to Tesla and give a speech, and he's willing to pay you a half a million dollars to do it a quarter a year for two years? Why, wouldn't, why would we begrudge the kid? Well, they're getting a free education. No. The times they spent grinding on the football field or the baseball diamond or the basketball court in the summertime while others were taking vacation, they had to keep still good academics to get into school. They had to, they had to still play their sports, still train. So the education, it's not free. No, nobody walked up to him and said, well, you're an average athlete and you're a crappy student. Here's a free, ed- no, no, here's a, here's a free scholarship. I get the point when they say free, ain't nothing free about it because they can turn on you and get, in some cases, get rid of you after a year and dock your scholarship. So screw the free. I know some, you'll get some that say that, no, now you ought to be blessed to get a free education. I couldn't have gone to college. My dad was a hardworking blue collar and my mom as well. I could have got into a closer public school maybe and applied for some academic stuff and athletic, but I wasn't going to, I couldn't go to USC. Are you kidding me? So the with the with the price it costs, so I, I I I get it, but it isn't free. I didn't go on summer vacation because we were training in the summer. My dad said, if you commit to playing seven on seven or summer league baseball, and it interrupts practice for us to go on our four or five day vacation, you're not going. You're not going to leave your team in the summer after you committed to a team and then leave. And I never I would never miss. Now, I tried to schedule a three-dayer to Disneyland, living in San Diego. Cool. So this name, image, and likeness and this, I'm all four players getting paid. I think it's overdue. Now, I'm not big on the hand-to-hand cash, but I think, there's, I think what name, image, and likeness does, we're not going to get less cheating. We're going to get more because where's the, where's the, what's the difference in me asking somebody to come give a speech and say, well, I, every six months I want him to come give a speech and giving him a million bucks, who's a, a senior getting ready to be his freshman, opposed to some guy walking in and handing him a direct deposit and say, oh, no, no, no. He's a consultant for my company. He's a spokesperson for us. We go to have sales calls with him in his off-season on a day he's not academically in class or he's not at spring football or, spring or, or basketball. Oh, over the summer, he's not training. Oh, yeah, no, he comes and he, he, he's part of my how to overcome adversity on the field applying to a sales team. I'm just using this as an example. Where's it stop? I want them to get all they can because we've been saying for a long time, well, the coach and people arguing. See, people think you've got to be one extreme or the other, that you can't say name, image, and likeness. We've got we to, gotta, you know, govern it or not. To, I don't like big government and many things, but govern it or, you know, get to a point where we regulate it a little bit. As a, well, then you don't believe in name. How dare you? The coaches can go when they want. They can. It doesn't make it right. They can recruit a kid and then turn around and leave in three months and go somewhere else. I get it. I want the players to get paid, but I, I don't like at all the fact that the transfer portal, you can get your one and you can up and go because somebody's making you two and a half million dollar offer difference if it gets to that. Where's it stop, I guess, is, is the next thing. When, when, what's it stop now? Can't you go to an elite high school camp with a quarterback, a DB, a linebacker, a wide receiver from different places? Those guys talk on social media and they socialize. They go to these camps, the best of the best, and they're all 20, 24 kids, let's say. Hey, man. Dude, let's all go to let's let, let's let's all go to Clemson. Let's all go to Alabama, or, or wherever Texas A&M, Texas, LSU, Southern Cal, whatever. We love it. Look at man, think what we can do. We can build a we can build a dream team. We'll negotiate together with a company. Good idea. So, basically, college football. I'll use that specifically. Is no longer amateur sports. It's not student athletes. It's professionals who go to school and play sports. Don't begrudge them. The rule says they can. 
But at some point in time, where does it get dirtier than it was when somebody snuck you a $100 handshake at, to, so you could buy pizza for your buddies on a Thursday and go get a cold beer if you were old enough to drink it? Or for some case, I guess, if you're old, not old enough. So where does that stop? And, the, and we use integrity loosely because you say, what's well, the NC2A, Sean, integrity? I think that somewhere along the line, we got a, a good heart to try and make it right where it's not eliminating certain parts of the college football experience the, the, for the wrong reasons. What's going to stop the guys who are paying the name, image, and likeness? They have already hit. That, that all of a sudden a guy comes in, you sign him to a three-year name, image, and likeness, and then he's a five-star guy, and he, after his freshman year, you realize, man, we over-recruited him. He's not very good. You thought he was going to be the number one linebacker in the country, and quite frankly, he's not very good. He's, the three-star is better than he is. And you sign a contract with the kid for him that you agreed to a contract with him. You're going to pull that from him? What, now lawsuits come in? Oh, I, I was an endorser. Dude, you're not a player anymore. I'm yanking it. What are you going to do? Sue me? With what money? Oh, so that comes in. Then what happens when... Are we going to start doing this? Why don't we just start trading, guys? Five-star. We got two five-stars at the position. Let's save him from transferring. Let's see if we can get, like, free agent. Let's not let him leave. He's got a transfer left. Let's trade him to Southern Cal from, from Pitt and see if we can – or from uh, LSU to – and I don't want to trade him in the SEC. Let's trade him to the Pac-12. Let's see if Oregon will give me their – backup five-star for my backup five-star. I know it's absurd, and obviously you're taking it with a grain of salt, but are, are we headed there? My man Dan Patrick, I was on his show yesterday. Uh, Dan said, Sean, are we going to get a salary cap for name, image, and likeness that you can only have so much per team? Because if I'm a quarterback and it's my buddy and I'm getting recruited, or I'm a stud and a Heisman Trophy candidate and some business comes at me, I say, well, I'm not signing a name, image, and likeness with you. Or I'm a, fresh, like a high school kid getting recruited, the number one recruit in the country. I want my, my offensive linemen to each get a, a mine, and then I want a bonus that if we win eight or nine games, aside from a little base, we win 10 games, I want each of my offensive linemen, they'll come and give a, a talk for us at the end of the year, at the end of our, uh, our season. They all get $50,000 bonuses, or I'm signing with the, with the competition company. What? So you get my point. I love it, but at some point in time, we got to put a little a dam up a little bit, right? So it's not constant because it's great for the kid. <laughs> come on. Some of these kids, I, I didn't come from money. Some of these kids don't come from money or even a little bit. The scholarship's all that. The scholarship check is all they get. And it's not a lot usually. I know it wasn't when I was playing in LA. It was like 400, my senior year was $484 a month and you had to pay rent with a roommate if you lived off campus. What are you going to do left? Los Angeles at less than 500? And that was like, ooh, this is 484. By the middle of the month, you had 15 days to scramble around and say, and my, my parents couldn't send me 500 bucks a month. So, and you don't get a meal card living off campus. Now, I don't know if that's changed, but you see the point. And now the, the, the hand-to-hand $100 handshake is going to be the hand-to-hand half-a-million-dollar handshake. The kids set up perfect for them. Why wouldn't you? Some of these guys are never going to play pro football. Five-star recruit's going to not develop. He's going to get a great name, image, and likeness. Going to kind of peter out. Won't be a, somebody will come in and be better than him. I, I, you don't want that, but it happens at every university. He'll have a, a 750 grand in his bank account or half a million bucks, and he'll never play a down NFL football. 
and that'll be able to get him started on a home or whatever his next career is. I don't have any problem with that. The problem for me comes with, with where do we stop to the point where college football isn't just a free-for-all. It is that now, transfer portal, name, image, like, name, image, and likeness. It is a free-for-all. That's why you got to recruit your current players every bit as hard as the kids coming in, even then some, because they got a little more veteran leadership and they've adjusted to the speed of the college game. You don't want to lose that core of your team. I mean, it, and, and, and we got the coaches and buyouts. Are we going to get to the point where, no, he's already, we've already spent our salary cap on uh, our name, image, and likeness for USC. We got no room to move it. We may have to get rid of a guy on scholarship. Everything's a contract. We'll have to cut our sophomore on scholarship and bring him in, which frees up $75,000 of scholarship money, right? It was a great point by Dan about salary cap. And that's, I've parlayed it out thinking, is that what it's going to look like? It's great for the kid, horrible for college football, period. You may not care, but it is. And the schools with the biggest alumni and the most money are going to, the rich are going to get richer. They have to. How can they not? Not that smaller schools don't have two or three rich alum, but you just got a bigger bag to choose from. Your 100th alumni at Southern Cal or at, at, at Stanford, your 100th alum is a CEO of a, of a company. Not that the other three at some sm- at Slippery Rock aren't, but that's three compared to 100 of them. You get my point? So I love it for the kid. I, I hate it for college football. Somewhere, somehow, before this thing becomes a tidal wave, which it already looks like it is, we're going to have to regulate it a little bit, right? Where the kids can still get theirs, but college football doesn't become go to hell in a handbasket, and we got 10 teams that can compete, and kids are just, it's, it's just like playing volleyball. You're going here or tennis, boom, 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 and, and you do it. So I, I love college. I think college football Saturdays are better than NFL Sundays, so I hope we get it under control. Now I'll finish with this and do it quickly. Baker Mayfield, the talk. You know, a lot of talk been about him, and I'm going to keep it. I, I've been a table pounder for Baker Mayfield since he came out. Now, it's, 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 it's fluctuated a little bit on consistency, being smart and not playing. There's a difference between playing when you're hurt and playing when you're injured, going from tough guy to it's dumb to play because you're hurting your stock by your, arms, your left arm's falling out of socket, and you, you can't compete so because you don't want to lose your job that all of a sudden you've hurt yourself worse physically and with the team, and then the stuff in the locker room and the I confess he did it stuff and the rabbit ears. I pound the table in favor of Baker Mayfield. But when I hear stuff about a locker room that, you know, Odell Beckham wasn't the issue, that it was Baker Mayfield, it makes me wonder, because I will tell you this, I don't pound the table for a bad teammate ever. I'm talking about if you're sitting there saying, man, great player, great player. But the second he becomes a horrible teammate and disrupts the locker room to the point of that, you lose the locker room if that's the case. I don't know if it's the case, but you hear whispers, and I don't know if those whispers are roars or it's a few. If it's more than a few and it becomes fractured, I will always pound the table for a locker room winner and a pretty good quarterback as opposed to a locker room killer and a better quarterback because eventually it'll flip and those guys will quit playing for you and that they will f- basically force you out. Now, with Baker, he's got some consistency he's got to get back. Do I think Baker Mayfield's good enough to be a top, I mean, a, a one of the 32 starters in the league? I absolutely do. But while I've pounded the table, I just don't hit it as hard now because I, I got to know if he can win a locker room back or if what you hear is, and, and, I, and I believe when people say it that they have, that they have some insight, but it appears Beckham's nothing more than a great teammate, 
a, obviously a great athlete, but that is giving and reaches out to teammates and come to the house and wins them over and that it wasn't him that was the problem. And when your leader or supposed leader and your quarterback, your first pick of the draft, becomes at least the whispers of it, I don't know. I don't have insight to that other than what I see because I wasn't there. I know how many fans love before Deshaun Watson, still do Baker Mayfield. But when it comes from, I'd rather have a guy struggle a little bit on the field and play his way out of it. But when you start to struggle as a teammate and you lose them, you can friggin' forget it. You are done. It's time to go somewhere else. They've moved on to a better player. Deshaun Watson, regardless of your feelings with him off the field, that's above my pay grade, that legal stuff with him. He is a better quarterback and quite frankly, it's not real close right now. Even though Mayfield, I believe, is a starter in the league and will have to revitalize his career. I talked to Warren Moon about it about a week, a week or a week and a half ago. I said, what would you tell him? Because Warren's such a great mentor. He says, I'd simply tell him to quit talking. Go to work and get on with it and, and get back to what you're doing. That's the only way. And he's right. You don't have to fake the swagger and rabbit ears when somebody does. You don't have to respond to everybody. Shut it down. Get off the social media. Not that you should shut up and not be confident and let people know that you've affected them, but change your focus a little. We all do. We all lose our way. Who hasn't? He's still a good player. Got to get healthy, but his mind's got to get right. It's similar, different way, but Tannehill's mind in one way. Baker's paradigms need a shift. So while I'm, I've always pounded the table for him, I, I, I hit it a little softer, like I said. Win the locker room, and now the problem is you can't trade him for a fifth-round pick. Oh, he's making too much money. In truth, doesn't a former first pick of the draft who's had some success in the league and been to the playoffs and was playing well against Kansas City, $19 million as a quarterback that you're going to make isn't really too much to pay. But trying to get somebody else to pay half, you can't trade him for a mid-round draft pick. That ought to tell you how others feel now. And there's some teams that are desperate. He's better than the quarterbacks they got in Seattle. Right now, he's better, I would think, than the quarterbacks that you may have unless Sam Darnold rejuvenates his career in Carolina. So there's some places, but where? Is he going to revert to a backup? Is somebody going to trust that he's going to be good in the locker room? Is he going to shift that? As I said, I don't know all the answers, but I know what it's going to take for him to give himself a fight and chance to win a job again, and that is to get back to what made you good, the walk-on mentality of grind as opposed to the I'm the starting quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, and here's how we're going to do it. You got, and that doesn't mean kiss teammates' ass. It means win them over. And you win them over by work, and you don't tell them what to do. You show them. And Deshaun Watson, they upgraded on the field. They did, and it seems from some accounts that there's going to be more upgrade as far as the, the locker room joy. The rest of it off the field, I don't know anything about, but I'm rooting for Baker Mayfield to be success. Humble pie is not a bad thing. A change of perspective is not a bad thing. And a reboot ain't a bad thing. Baker Mayfield right now needs it to give himself a chance to go win a job again. And then when you win it, it's one thing to get to where you want to go. Heisman Trophy, first pick of the draft. Success as a rookie. Struggle second year. Success again in the third year. Injury in a bad fourth year. Consistency's one. <clears throat> but I can tell you this. Getting there is one thing. <clears throat> Everybody's had a great game or had a great month or had a great year at some point in their career. Sustaining, it's another. That's why the great ones, when they get there and stay there and sustain it and every year getting better, what's Baker Mayfield's grind going to be? So grateful to be a part of this. That's my premier, believe, uh, 
podcast, and I'm grateful to be a part of the Believe Network. We'll do it again, and there'll be far more content because, for me, I like to delve deep into baseball and basketball, which are really my two favorite sports. Football just happened to be what I did, and while I study it and crave it and grind on it and am passionate about it, I like talking about the Red Sox and home runs or the Padres and how good a guy like Mike Trout is or uh, how hard somebody throws and analytics of baseball and all that and how it's shifted as much as I do a slam dunk and as much as I do a touchdown pass on a bang post. We'll t- cover it all here. Look, at, look forward to it. Appreciate your feedback. Let your friends know about it. I'm Sean Salisbury. This is the Believe Network. Great to be with you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.